Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of The Why Behind the What, where the what can start a conversation, but the why can open up one's soul. My name is Nathan Elbert, and as always, I am so thankful you are listening today. This past week, we were again reminded of this sad cycle that seems to be repeating in our society, a sad cycle that is becoming normalized in our culture. Terrence Crutcher, an African-American man whose car broke down on his way home from community college, was shot and killed by a police officer in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Keith Lamont Scott, an African-American man who was waiting in his car, was shot and killed by a police officer in Charlotte, North Carolina. Both of these were filmed on phones and spread throughout social media for any and all to see. Most recently in Charlotte, there have been days of protests, and many of these protests have now turned violent, and some would say even turned into riots. And yet the names keep piling up. Tyree King, a 13-year-old boy. Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, Tamir Rice, Eric Gardner, Michael Brown, John Crawford, Walter Scott, Freddie Gray, and the list goes on and on and on. And as a Christian, as a minister of the gospel, and as a white male, I cannot remain silent on issues of injustice. I refuse to, say, to stay silent when the bodies of African-American men are killed on the streets in situations where a life should never be taken. I cannot stay silent when there are systems in place in our society that benefit some, benefit me, while oppressing others, my, my loved ones uh, who are people of color. And yet at the same time, I think it's important that as a Christian, as a minister of the gospel, and as a white male, I learn to stay silent at times, only in order to listen. I need to learn from my brothers and sisters of color, educate myself on systemic racism and white supremacy. I have to learn of the fact that, that this cycle has been on repeat, not for a year, not for months, but since the founding of our nation. And I must repent of my white privilege. And so on today's podcast, I want us to listen to my friend Ray McKinnon. Ray and I became friends through social media of all places. We became friends years ago uh, and have followed one another's lives via Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We've actually never hung out in person, uh, but I do really look forward to the day where Ray and I can hang out for a day. Ray is a minister in Charlotte, North Carolina, and has been attending these protests He's been working with a group of clergy seeking to be a peaceful presence at these protests. He was at the Omni Hotel a few days ago when the protest quickly escalated. Uh, he even recorded it live and posted it on Facebook. Ray is an incredible bridge builder. Uh, he's a man of peace. He's a husband, a father. He does justice. He loves mercy, and he walks humbly with God. Uh, just to note, we did this interview over the phone uh, on speakerphone. Uh, and Ray was actually even at one point picking up his kids from school, so the sound quality isn't the best, but uh, regardless, this is an important episode. Uh, if you are white, if you are a person of faith, listen to these words, uh, learn from Ray's words, uh, act in response to these words. I hope you enjoy it. Ray, welcome to my podcast. I am glad you're here. Thanks, Nathan. I'm really glad that you invited me to be here. 
Uh, first off, Ray, tell, can you introduce yourself to this audience of millions and millions of listeners that I have? Actually, I, I don't really have millions of listeners, if you know. Um, but tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, what you do, where you're working, a little bit about your family. Sure. So, um, as you said, I'm Ray McKinnon. Um, I am a pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina. I uh, serve the community at South Chion Community United Methodist Church. Uh, I've been there since August, and prior to serving there, so South Tryon, it's, it's one of our United Methodist missions uh, in a, in a high-needs community. Prior to serving there, I served at a uh, church completely different, uh, uh, upper-middle-class, middle-class, predominantly white church, uh, University City United Methodist in Charlotte as well. Uh, I'm married um, to my wife, Kelly. She and I have been married now for... Since 2005, July 2005, I can't do the math. That's terrible. I think 11 years. Um, and uh, she and I have four kids, three whose adoption we just finalized uh, in August also, kind of the week before I started at my new church. And um, we have a dog, Sebastian Sebi. She's a German Shepherd and a cat, uh, Baxter. And I'm just a person who tries to kind of live into what it means to be a follower of Christ. Um, um, to this world. That's who I am. And um, yeah. Awesome. The reason I wanted to interview is I saw uh, a few days ago, uh, those who are listening, Ray put up a Facebook live video of him being present at the Charlotte um, uh, protests that were happening the other night. Um, kind of when everything went, turned from peaceful to somewhat of a riot, basically. Um, in this video, you can hear gas canisters and the stun, like kind of the stun grenades going off. Um, and it seems completely overwhelming, overwhelming. And I'm going to play that um, for our audience now so you, they can get a glimpse of uh, that, that short video. So they'll hear that now. And so they have dispersed folks. I just pray that y'all will seriously pray um, with us. There's palpable hurt and anger on every every side. And um, I don't know. Um, seriously, y'all, like this... <clears throat> We're called to um, to be light, 
in dark spaces. So anyway, uh, we are. We're just we're just praying, y'all. Um, and it looks like they where I was has been dispersed. Uh, I'm gonna go find my other my my colleagues, but seriously, not to entertain you, but this is a time for prayer. It's a time for for prayer. Um, yeah, pray for Charlotte. Can you tell me about that night? Like, uh, you know, we see it on the news, but you were there. Yeah, I mean, it was, I think it's important before I get into that, I think it's important for folks to know that um, that was a piece, a small piece of what happened uh, in the totality of that day and the day prior. Mm. Um, that was um, directly after a protester uh, was... Uh, shot by uh, someone. Uh, I've recently learned that the CMPD has arrested a civilian uh, yesterday for, for that attack. Uh, and so there was a lot of just mayhem. Um, prior to that, we were we were there as clergy. I'm part of uh, the Charlotte Clergy Coalition for Justice, and we were there to just be there, a ministry of presence, of peace uh, um, for our community. Uh, and that included the police officers who were there, but it was it was chaotic, man. I mean, you had a lot of people. I didn't know that it was quite as as devastating as it appeared in that video there. Um, but it was, I mean, a lot of people running. Um, there were a lot of people who were um, angry. There was this in the, that that night. It was, I mean, it was almost visceral. This visceral reaction of I need uh, to get out this anger. There was this um, just unrelenting almost uh, anger and fear and frustration that occurred um, there were so uh, prior to that too before we kind of got where we where I was prior to that was at the Omni Hotel and for your uh, folks who aren't, in, uh, aren't familiar with Charlotte and Uptown uh, it's it's a it's an upper scale hotel and uh, we were in the corridor there and there were riot cops who were there at one point I guess I mean things got really heated some protesters were yelling at cops, but there wasn't any necessary violence per se. But then uh, somebody threw things, and then came the those um, the pepper spray pellets, uh, like being shot from those rubber deals, being shot from like what looked to me like air uh, uh, paintball guns. Um, and there were the, the the bang canisters right there, and it was right there. I still have the the residue on my. Uh, pants and I could still yesterday, not today, but my eyes were still burning a bit um, and throat. Uh, and and some of the one or two of the cops were literally shooting indiscriminately. So and when the one guy was shot, there was mixed um, reports about whether he was shot by a civilian by the police. And I can understand that confusion because one of the officers seemed to have been shooting. Well, not seen from my point, was shooting kind of indiscriminately. I, one of the things Graves does, like I said, they were just shooting these things off, the smoke, uh, the, the tear gas, and then the flashbangs. It was just chaotic. It did not do anything to de-escalate de things. It certainly ramped it up, um, which was a marked difference uh, uh, from what we saw uh, last night at the protest. One of the videos you put up on your Facebook, um, your Facebook page, you talked about how this protest and the protests of this week in Charlotte, and even the tension in our country, 
uh, is a culmination of many, many things. Um, sure. And so you don't see this as a one-time thing, but this is, this is, um, yeah, it's a culmination. Can you speak more? Yeah. I know you shared that in that video, but can you speak more of that, of how you see this as? Um, yeah, for sure. Actually, um, uh, I guess return from long ago, I was telling you earlier uh, with a friend of mine, another colleague in the industry, and, um, and we were talking about this. He asked me very much a similar question. And um, a lot of folks are, are like, I don't understand why they're destroying their city over this one incident. Um, and it, and it's one, it's, it's certainly not over simply uh, the, the killing on, uh, of, the, of, the, of the victim here. It, it's a culmination of a lot of things, right? Uh, there's a lot of, I, I, I talked um, earlier this week uh, with, with our mayor, Jennifer Roberts here, who is an incredible person. And I said to her that Jennifer or Mayor Roberts, um, I believe that, the, so for folks who aren't aware, we had something similar to this a couple of years ago. Uh, by similar, I mean there was a police shooting of, 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 of verifiably an unarmed guy. The police officer was charged and the jury hung, uh, and that was the um, Jonathan Farrell case, and the Randall Carrick was the officer. And I said, I think that was our city's mulligan. And so we're, here we are, skipped two, three years later, we have another incident where there is this distrust of police officers, uh, rightly or wrongly, is the case. Uh, but you, it, it is far. It goes deeper than that. Here in Charlotte, Charlotte uh, ranks 50 out of 50 of the largest cities for upward uh, mobility. So the idea, if you were born in poverty, you're likely, if you live in Charlotte, uh, to die in poverty. Uh, when you, and then there's another study that, that showed a, co um, a correlation with that, uh, with the upper mobility study that showed if we have something volatile like this happen, it's more likely uh, to erupt into something that's a riot. Um, and, it's, and it's more than just a simple just do this, don't do that. These things compound. I think it's important for us to remember that none of these things happen in a vacuum that everything is connected. So when and I was telling this to my friend Bert today at lunch, so when we, um, we say to people who are protesting peacefully, so uh, some of the, the most vocal folks I saw saying that Colin Kaepernick, for instance, who was uh, using his form of protest was doing it wrong and he should just be quiet. Um, they say do that in any other protest that is nonviolent, we say, just be quiet, just be quiet, don't protest that way. And then we have these protesters, and then we have riots. We can't have it both ways. We have to hear people. We have to look at the policies that uh, perpetuate uh, these kind of uh, circumstances that make people feel desperate and void of hope. Uh, so when we say to a person who maybe – was again in Charlotte. Uh, they have limited upward mobility uh, 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 likelihood. Um, they're born to poverty, and then maybe they get arrested young uh, or after the age of 18 for a drug felony. Uh, but then we say, well, if you have a drug felony, you don't have access to Pell Grants. Pell Grants help poor people go to college, even community college. And so then we say, also, if you have a, a felony, you're not going to get a decent job. You're going to probably get a job where you, you're going to be making the minimum wage. And then we say the minimum wage is not actually a living wage. And, and all these things we think are disconnected.
people are desperate and where people feel hopeless. And it is a dangerous place to be where you have a person who feels hopeless. It feels like there's nothing for them to lose. So it's like all of these things we have to look at. And then to say nothing of the fact that the people who are vocal against a person's protest are woefully silent when, uh, you know, a person who is killed without uh, having a gun or who was killed um, where force was escalated unnecessarily, they're quiet to that, or worse than being quiet, uh, they justify it and speak it away. So none of these things happen in a vacuum. All of these things are related, and we can't just will them away. We can't just tell people to just be quiet and just go along with, you know, just it's just like the solid capitulation, and, and folks are tired of that. Folks are not willing for that to be the case any longer. They're saying, okay, if you don't listen to our grievances, if you don't allow us to, to have regress, if you don't allow us to uh, protest in this way, nonviolent, you're going to listen to us. Uh, because the reality is everybody has a voice. It's just whether or not that voice is being heard. They're like, you're going to hear my voice. So we have to ask ourselves, which voices are we going to listen to? We can't just say, worry about the you know, seeming from my perspective, delicate sensibilities of people, uh, primarily people in the majority culture who are white and not black and brown. Mm-hmm. That's a long answer too. Sorry, I mm-hmm. tend to go on. I'm, I'm, I love that. I'm totally fine. That's, <laughs> this is awesome. You're here for that. Okay. Um, I'm here for it. Now. Yeah, I love it. I love it. In the work that you're doing for justice, you're really desiring to humanize both sides. Um, in right. one, in one of your videos, you talk about how proud you are of police officers, that they are there doing their job, and yet that you are also proud of the protesters that are raising their voices and speaking truth. Um, can you comment a little bit about that on the, the humanizing each side? Because I I think in our in our culture, what you see on the news, or even your own opinion, um, I think people easily demonize the, oh, well, they're just part of the Black Lives Matter movement. They're liberals, and uh, they're, they're violent, or, oh, they're, cops are evil, and uh, down with cops, and there's just this, there's so much dehumanization, so comment on that for us. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you're right, bro. I think we live in this world of polarization, and, and I get it on levels, I mean, I'm, you know, I do, but I think we do have this false dichotomy where we think uh, that um, we have to choose sides, and I think when we do that, when we, when we start choosing sides, we have to pick a winner, we have to pick a loser, and then when we do that, it takes away the humanity of the person. So I'll tell you this. Uh, when I decided I didn't like plan to go and, 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 and kind of get in the middle, quote-unquote, middle of this, I was, I guess it was Tuesday night. I was, um, I was at home, and we were watching it, and I was like, not again, not another thing. And I met, and I, I saw a video, a picture of a police officer who could have been any older than my oldest kid. We adopted him at 15. My oldest kid is uh, 25. He could have been any older than him. So he's a kid. He's a, uh, he was a white cop, and there was this, this uh, I think of it now makes me emotional. His face, man, was there were tears in his eyes, and, and, I, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't fear. It was like this pain of, I'm hurting too. Uh, this is my city too. I don't want you to think that I hate you because you're this. It was just this real pain. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. And so I said to Kelly, my wife, I was like, honey, I really feel like I'm supposed to go down there. But the, the picture of the cop is what first compelled me to come. 
uh, down there. And I think we've got to do that. We've got to see the person in front of us and not, you know, uh, aside and not think that cops are bad people who just want to kill black and brown people or to not think that protesters are, are these lazy thugs who just want to loot and steal. And when we do that, when we other people, uh, you know, it, it makes it easier for us to pull away, uh, but it, it far, you know, it widens the divide. Uh, the hard part is to live in this complexity. Like, like I was telling uh, my buddy Bert today, like it's hard for me to kind of go with, the, you know, at one of the, in the protests, they kept saying, you know, F, dropping the F-bomb 12, and 12 is like a term for police officer, 12, 12. And, um, and it's hard for me to, to, to hear that and not cringe because I have grown to know and love. I have family members who are cops, but, you know, here in the CMPD, where my new church is, we've gotten a really good relationship with Captain Tanya Arrington, who is just uh, in charge of the community policing in that area, who's this incredible woman doing incredible work who just genuinely is a woman of integrity, who loves her job, loves her community. Uh, but I have friends who are protesting, uh, who are incredible people. So it's like, we have to see people and we can see from where they, you know, once we do that, it makes us pause and see from their perspective. I don't have to, nobody has to tell me to pause and see from the perspective of protesters and the people calling for reform, because I'm among them, uh, certainly as a person who is a, a black man in America as a person who is father to, you know, well, one black son and four boys, uh, three boys who are biracial, uh, who are brown. So I don't have to see from that perspective. But I do need to pause and see from the perspective of the, the white police officer who doesn't feel like I understand from where he sits or from where he views or from where she views. And then vice versa on that end. Like we won't, we've got to do that. And, and until we do that, and that's hard work, that is an easy work. That isn't a, you know, have a, have a press conference or a forum one day and everything's fixed. It's living in that discomfort, living in the awkward space where, you know, you've, you've made a stance and you've made a conversation that, you know, you know one of your church members uh, who was a police officer disliked and now you're, you know, you're having to kind of walk through that and, and, and have tough conversations with them. Um, that's the stuff we have to do. That's the stuff we have to be willing to do uh, by seeing the person and not just jumping to I'm I'm, I'm you know to the you know tired all lives matters or you know whatever. It's like yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's I don't know if I answer your question. Yeah. I'm not going to apologize every time after every answer. I promise. <laughs> but I feel like I'm not answering your question. I guess that I, and I I sense that could be probably really tough for some people when they see the systemic injustice or the systemic racial profiling or the the same thing that is happening over and over and over that you're seeing happen, happening in Baltimore and Charlotte and Charleston and Ferguson, um, that that it must be hard to separate the, oh, these these police officers are human from the system that is doing incredibly unjust things, right? I think it's hard to do that when I, I think it's, it's harder to do that when you don't have a relationship with whichever group it is, right? If I didn't know and love and serve as a pastor, police officers, it would be harder. But I can see their faces. 
And if a police officer don't actually know and, and love people of color, it'll be harder. Or if a white person don't know and love people of color, it's harder to do that. I think it becomes easier, not just easier, necessary to do that when you have real relationship with whichever group we're seeking to demonize or to objectify. So it is hard either way, uh, but it's harder when you don't have those relationships. It is tough. Uh, like I was talking about my friend Bert, um, we are so different, man. It's ridiculous, but it's tough. And we've had our drop, like our, I mean, yelling at each other um, and trying to make the other one see. But then we take a pause and say, I love this dude. He's like, I love this dude. And then we, we hear each other. I hear him. Uh, and the thing I'm saying, but also he's actually really trying to hear me, uh, not from a place of, of defensiveness, not from a place of Ray thinks I'm a racist bigot, so I've got to prove him wrong. Or And I'm not seeing from a place of that's, you know, Bert is just this white, privileged dude who doesn't understand, but we're really trying to hear. And that's not popular for, quote, unquote, either side, because each of us think, you just need to. If, if I can just set this person straight, and they can see the way I see, it'll all be it'll all be good. If they can just agree with me, it'll all be good. If he can just understand his privilege, it'll be good. Or you know, if he can just understand, you know, his you know uh, need to obey orders, it'll be good. No, uh, we have to do that. So it's tough. All of this stuff is tough. All of this stuff is uh, is somewhat difficult. But for me, as a person of faith, as a minister of the gospel, this is the tough stuff that we've been called to, right? Like, we've not been called to this, you know, kumbaya bullshit. We've been called to real, in-your-face, get in there, the hard stuff, when it isn't popular, when you're going to be misunderstood. Kind of like what you, you know, the stuff that you do, the reason I even know who you are, you know, just living into our call to be ministers of reconciliation, living into our call to go where the hurting is, living into our call to be light in dark spaces you know what i mean like so it's hard but it's not only it's it's necessary jesus told us it was going to be hard he never promised us anything other than that i know i'm getting spiritual right now but you know that's what you get with it that's all right you, you with the reform back when you get your preach on that's fine Baptist, yeah What's that? you get your preach on that's fine ray how has this been as how has this been for you personally and with your family, like, how do you process this as, as a family, as an African American, as a father to sons? Um, how 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 has this been for you? Well, you know, this one has been really different. I'll be honest with you, um, and I, I think for multiple reasons, it's so close to home, uh, but also um, ironically because I I don't feel as helpless as I felt when it was happening in Ferguson or, or other places, because this is a space where I serve and I feel a call, right? Uh, so I don't feel as helpless. Before, I'd just watch these videos. I'd be angry. I'd cry. Kelly and I would, like, Kelly's my wife. We wouldn't be able to sleep. We'd talk about this stuff. Um, and so it's a little different in this sense, uh, because I feel like this is home. I'm known here, not, in, not like I'm, you know, a baller, but I feel like people know me. Uh, but it, it's still it's still heartbreaking, man. Um, like the thing I said is I don't care if the guy had a gun, if he didn't have a gun, a relative in Charlotte. I want to know why we are are killing people first and asking questions later. Uh, I still feel scared um, uh, when I think sometimes about like what could happen with one of my boys. Um, 
you know, my oldest son, Quentin, is a former Air Force dude, but he's also, he can be a little hot-tempered, and he doesn't like me to tell no. I think about my 15-year-old, uh, same thing. Um, he, he, you know, uh, he, he has an opinion, and I'm like, you know, we can't do that, and that's, that's sad. Um, it's heartbreaking to feel like, um, I said that, and my 15-year-old has come home from school, so he was looking at me like, whatever. Um, I said that, I mean, I... It's sad to, to feel like I have to tell my kids that. It's sad to, to feel um, scared, you know, at times thinking about things. Um, and so how do we, you know, my, my kids have not talked a lot about it. Uh, I was actually, uh, my uh, 11-year-old, when I was taking him to school this morning, I just asked him, we were listening to NPR, it's like, have you guys talked about this at school any, or have your friends talked about it? He's like, no, not really. Um but my eight-year-old uh, eight yesterday, we were we were rushing like we always are, and um, the news was on. And, and, and then Mikhail says, you know, well, they just um, – they were showing the protest. And he said, well, they just shot one black guy. I don't know why everybody's going crazy. And my heart, like, broke when he said that because I'm like uh, – and, you know, I don't know how to process that with – with an eight-year-old. I mean, we, I said, you know, well, it's not necessarily that. We're talking about justice, and it's not okay to do that. He's like, well, they shouldn't have broken those windows, and they shouldn't have. And I'm like, my kid has been conditioned, and, and you know, mm. you know, we've, we, our adoption with them just finalized, but they've been with us for two years, and you know, even an eight-year-old has been conditioned to to feel like, you know, that, that, you know, one that even every life isn't quite as, as valuable. You know, they just shot one black guy. In my heart, broke when he said that, and it sank. And I, and I, I mean, that was just it. You know, my that was Mikel, eight years, eight year old. He is always so blunt. He's my bluntest kid. Who says what? The first thing that comes to his mind, and and I don't know, man. I just we try to teach them to um, honor, and respect people, uh, all people, and honor, and respect authority, all authority, their teachers, um, and anyone in authority. Um, but it's hard thinking about what could happen um, uh, to my sons or to my wife or to me. And, you know, and this is what I was telling a, another friend of mine. I was like, the thing that's scary for me, being 100% honest, is if I'm pulled over in the space, they don't know that I'm a pastor. They don't know my level of education. They don't know uh, anything about me. And the evidence tells me that they are more, most, more likely to be afraid of me because I'm a big black man. Um, and that's my reality. That is not only my reality, it's my lived experience. Um, and that's, that's a rough space, you yeah. know? Um, and it's, it's very disheartening to say the least. Wow. Sorry, that got me emotional. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, it's totally fine. It's just, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good yeah, word. Exactly. And I just, you know, hearing your reaction makes me think about that, like how, even for me, how like uh, normalized that's become for me. I just said that so matter-of-factly, not expecting for it to have an effect. And every time I've said that to another friend of mine, like when I said to Bert, his reaction was the same. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's not, that's not normal. Yeah. That's not every it's lived experience. And that's mine, right? And so many, and the lived experience of so many other black and brown people. Yeah. Well, wow. and that's it, dude. That's where we are. That's the 
that's that's part of the humanity. That's part of seeing people, right? Like, and that's part of the systematic stuff too. I was uh, Bert and I were talking about today. It's like it's so much bigger. Going back to the previous question, it's so much bigger than again that just that thing because I don't think we realize how conditioned we are to see black people as scary and as bad. I think all of us, if we're to be honest, all of us have like you know been conditioned in some way. Until we actually like engage our mind and say, "What the hell am I thinking?" Right? Like, because it's those are the images we see. We see those images. We see images of black people being scary and bad and criminal, and it is not a mistake. I mean, it, I don't think that I mean, it's systematic. I mean, it's systemic, right? Like, we see black people as as that. I mean, you do a simple Google search for black kids, it's crazy what happens, and then for white kids, it's like this. I mean, even the freaking algorithms, like, you know, get that part, and that's the real part. And if we don't think how we've been conditioned to see black people, if we don't think that comes into play when we have, uh, when, when people of color have interaction with law enforcement officers, we are naive. It does. It colors everything. I tell Bert, I don't think police officers are out here targeting black people because they're black people. I think they've been conditioned to be suspicious of black people for whatever reason, and then they are a lot more, so their senses are a lot heightened, more heightened than they are when they have an interaction with a white person. I was talking to one of my clergy colleagues who's with, with me. She's a, um, a white clergy member, a white woman, and she said to me, and, and it blew my mind. I was like, she's so bright. She said, I'm, I've got to get somebody to go to curriculum night for me to pick my kid up from curriculum night because I have to be down there, Ray. I have to be between, um, you know, in the middle of the protesters and the cops because who is more privileged to safety than I am? I'm a white woman. Nobody, you know, cops are not going to deal with me harshly because I'm a white woman. And she realizes the reality of that truth, right? She realizes that privilege, that just her presence will cause people to tamp down. And I realized that, you know, if I, like the first night I went out to the, the near the site of the shooting, I didn't have my, um, my clergy garb uh, because I just left. It was at my office. I didn't want to drive all the way to my office to get it. So I went there, and I wasn't as in front as I was because I knew I would have been mistaken for something. Uh, but when the officers and when the protesters saw my stole, it made them calm down because I was no longer a threat. And, and that's the, those are the realities, man. You've worked in uh, predominantly white churches um, as well as, I think, multi-ethnic churches. But um, what would you say to the broader white community, or the, the broader dominant white Christian community, um, and even white clergy? Mm-hmm. What would you say at, at this point in our, in our history? What would words of encouragement or words of boldness or slaps across the faces? What would you say to us? Yeah, well, no slaps across the faces because violence <laughs> is not ever the answer. Uh, the thing I would say uh, is the thing that I've said um, to my colleagues who are in the majority culture, who are um, serving um, to, to not be silent. Silence at this point in our history, especially with our platforms, perpetuates violence. It is never, it is not okay any longer to be 
Um, uninterested. It's not okay to be uh, quiet. You have to speak. Whatever that truth is, you have to say something. You have to speak to it. You don't have to quote-unquote choose sides, uh, but you do have to speak. And you have to realize that it's okay for you to not have the answers. I don't have the answers. A lot of my colleagues who are out here, we don't have all the answers, but we do know that we've called, uh, we've been called to um, the dark spaces. I told my wife every night I went out, the first night jokingly, but it's real that as ministers of the gospel, um, we've not been called to safety, but we have been called uh, to go where the, the hurting are. And so where there's hurting, we should be there. We should show up. We should always show up. We should use our platforms to speak forth justice uh, and truth. And we should, uh, again, the, the thing is uh, speaking forth peace with justice. And that's something I've been hounding and hounding is peace with justice. And so, and that, that con, you know, connotes like real peace, not just the absence of violence, right? So it's like this idea that um, there is no violence, but there's also justice, that people are, are being heard, that, um, that, systems are being challenged. I, I would say to white people, uh, clergy or not, um, to challenge the status quo. And I think you have to speak because silence right now says that the status quo is okay or that it's working. And you have to see that simply because it's working for you doesn't mean it's actually working for everyone. So we have to become less selfish and um, also realize that it isn't necessarily our job to make everyone happy. That is not going to happen. We're, we will offend people. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. It's this offensive love that says if someone slaps you on the one cheek, turn the other. It's this offensive love that says if someone makes you walk with them, continue walking farther. They get, you know, it's like the gospel is offensive, and it will not be palatable to everyone. And so when we challenge people and call them uh, to live into what it really is, people will push back. So I don't know. And so for me, it's also a word of comfort is it isn't necessarily uh, all on you. Uh, you don't have to have the answers. I think if you just be a listening voice and, and actually listening, like, right, like actively listening and listening for the things people aren't voice from a person who has a different lived experience than you. Uh, it goes a long way. Um, I, I challenge uh, my, my friends in the majority culture to, to become less, have a less defensive posture, um, to not take everything to mean to think that people are saying you are an evil person or your your folks are evil or that, you know, um, I don't know. I think that's what we have to do, uh, especially if we call ourselves minister of the way, right? Ray, if people want to follow you or check out your social media presence. How can people get, uh, how can people do that? Um, so everything is at RayMac2009. What's your weird, it, it sounded really fun in 2009 when I came up with that handle. And now everybody's just like, what's 2009 about? So it's RayMac, M-A-C-K, 2009. That's so that's awesome. my profile on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. And I have a website that's RayMac2009.com that I never, ever, update i'm supposed to blog but i'm not disciplined like you are so i don't even try um but yeah man that's and i love interacting with people i love 
uh, gaining friends through social media, like you and I became friends through social media. It's 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 wonderful. It's so good for an ENFP like me. It like extends our our network and our ability to touch and love people. And so anyway, thank you. I appreciate. Yeah, I just appreciate your honesty and willingness to. Um, as you say, be a light in dark spaces. Um, even when that means um, entering into what turns into be a riot. And uh, um, but uh, yeah, I'm thanks. I'm thankful that, and I'm thankful that you're building relationships with the mayor and police officers and people that are protesting. Uh, that you are truly, yeah, you're truly being a bridge builder, and uh, and you're being one who humanizes the other, which I think is um, so crucial. So I'm I'm thankful for that. And uh, I'm thankful for your voice. I think it's so, yeah. That stuff is important, man. It's important for us to show up everywhere. Well, thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for the, for sharing. Thank you, man. uh, Yeah. Say uh, hello to the fam for me. Will do. Your kid sounds adorable. Will do. He's awesome. He's pretty darn cute. (laughs) So here's to Ray McKinnon, a minister of reconciliation and a light in dark spaces. Here's to humanizing police officers and humanizing protesters. Here's to never keeping quiet about injustice and never condoning violence. And here's to the why behind the what. Cheers.